Good morning. My name is Joe. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, I would love to do so. Uh, you can email me or you can just see me out in the lobby after the service, but I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at New Freedom. And we're so glad that you're joining us today on this very special day. This is the Lord's Day. Um, just a, a, a kind of a, a preface to the message today that I want to share with you is that um, today I'm going to be talking about a changing world how that our world changes. This message has actually been uh, kind of reverberating in my spirit for a couple of months. I first uh, noticed this passage I'm going to talk about in early uh, January before we even knew about all the changes that were to take place and began uh, just kind of letting it, uh, I guess, marinate, if you will, in my heart. And the Lord has uh, given me a message, I believe, a word for you today. And just kind of a note of our changing world, when we were not meeting for uh, probably, what, 10 weeks, I think it was, we were just online only. Uh, All of a sudden, just about every church in the world went online. And one of the things that we realized was that there's an entire audience that we are able to build online and through streaming that uh, we had maybe tapped into a little bit before, but it was on a much larger scale. And so we just ask that you would be patient with us as we continue to try to make improvements and adjustments and upgrades to that streaming and through the online. There are some technical additions that we've added. You've already noticed those. If you're live here with us today, you've already noticed those. Hopefully, if you're streaming and watching us online, you've noticed that that has also been enhanced for you. And not just the live experience that happens in streaming, but can I tell you that there's another advantage to making what we do in here the best that we possibly can? And that is that there is an archive that is set for those that want to go back and watch later. Uh, People may may pull this up months from now and be blessed by the worship and the ministry of the Word. And so we want to do everything with a spirit of excellence. Amen? Amen? We want to do it as unto the Lord. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about a changing world. But first, we need to go back to what I believe is the greatest story of all the Old Testament. It is the story of God calling a people, a nation, a tribe, a kindred and tongue for his name. This this was the Jewish people. He called them from Father Abraham. And that lineage went on on through until we get to the place where God's people were now oppressed in Egyptian slavery. They were oppressed for 400 years until finally a mighty deliverer came and his name was Moses. We're going to look at Moses, but then I want to look at Moses' successor, Joshua, this morning, because I believe that there is a very powerful word for us about a changing world. In Exodus 33 and 1, this is the promise. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I have swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants I will give it. Verse 2, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out... the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up into a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the new world which they were promised, the land that is flowing with milk and honey. When I kind of looked up this and and determined what does milk and honey really represent, it kind of uh, gives us the illustration of provision. The milk of the land is, is uh, harkened back to 
the uh, maternal instinct that, that uh, is upon a mother to take care of her child. And, and so when we look for the milk of the word, we're saying to God, we want to get close to you and we want to have the sustenance that you and only you can provide. The honey of the land is the sweetness of the land, the things that are pleasant to our life, the things that when we walk into them, we enjoy the milk and the honey of the land. This was the promise originally given to Moses. But if you know the story, you'll find out that when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, they for 40 years stayed in a land of wilderness, in a place of testing, not the promised land. They were just three-day journey from the promised land. They sat down and they stayed in the place of the wilderness. But then along comes a man named Joshua. Joshua is the uh, successor of Moses. Moses, if you will, passed the baton over to Joshua. And this is the part that I want to get to today. Verse 10 of chapter 5. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread, parched grain, on the very same day. Verse 12. Then the manna ceased. Everybody say, the manna ceased. Then the manna ceased on the day after that they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer ate manna, but they ate food of the land of Canaan that year. They no longer ate the manna. So here's the question. What do you do when your world changes? And what happens if your world changes but you don't. What happens if your world is completely turned upside down, inside out, and everything about it has changed, but you don't? That's what the Lord spoke to me. If this is a changing time, if COVID-19 was a change in our society, a change in our day, what happens when this all changes on the outside, but you don't? Well, I, I believe that it is like a two-sided coin. This coin that I have here has two sides. I don't know of any coin that just has one. Maybe there's a, a coin that has one with an inscription on one side and it's blank on the other side, but a coin has two sides to it. And so when your world changes, but you don't, it's like a two-sided coin. There is both a virtue and a vice to that condition. The virtue is this. When your world changes, you don't have to completely change. You can import things from your previous world into your new world. Things like your devotion to God. Things like your faithfulness to your family. Things like the, the uh, fervency with which you serve the Lord. Your study habits don't have to change just because things are shut down. Your prayer life does not have to change, maybe for the better, but it doesn't have to go away when your world changes. So there are some virtues that we maintain and that we continue on in our lives when our world changes. But what about when we don't change and the world has passed us by. There are some vices that happen, like at your own peril, if your old world no longer exists and it's never coming back, then there are some necessary adjustments that we have to make. There are some changes that we have to employ if we are going to stay up with our new world, if we're going to stay up with the times that are facing us. I wanna talk about some of those this morning. I think about uh, my grandparents, and when I was looking at uh, the world that is changing all around us, I was thinking about how that they were probably better prepared for a 
seismic change in the economics of our country or for some of the hardships of, of going to the store and not seeing on the shelves all that we were used to seeing. I mean, it was kind of a shocker, wasn't it, to go to the store over the last couple of months and realize that your favorite item was not there or an item that you wanted to order was on back order. The manufacturing was down, and so you couldn't just easily access the things that you could before. Our world had changed, and we had grown so accustomed to just always being able to dial it up on Amazon and ship it to us or go to the store and purchase it, but something had changed and a disruption happened and it was no longer easily accessible. I think of my grandparents' generation who were all born in the era of the uh, Great Depression and they came up through the time of the Second World War and I, I hearken back now in my mind and I've had a lot of time to think about the, the way that they had a, a, a sustaining mentality. They didn't waste anything. My, my mom's mom, my maternal grandmother, I remember on Friday, she would always pick me up uh, after school and we would go to her house and we would t- take all Friday night clipping coupons out of the, the newspaper so that we could go to the store on Saturday morning. She went every Saturday morning to the grocery store. And I don't think that my grandma ever bought an item, unless maybe milk, I don't think they make coupons for milk. I mean, she'd hardly bought an item without a coupon. She was frugal. She was a saver. It was something that was ingrained in her from a long time ago. And I always wondered, why does she always have to have a coupon? There's plenty of stuff here. But she grew up in an era and in a generation where there wasn't plenty. I remember many times going out to Grandpa Shutt's barn, and there was always uh, this characteristic to his barn that there was a pile of old metal coffee cans he never got rid of a coffee can. He always drank coffee, and there was, there was these old metal coffee cans because he always figured that there was a purpose. These coffee cans held nuts and bolts and nails and just about anything that you could, you could figure to throw into a coffee can, but he never threw that away. There was not even a recycle mentality so much. It was just a don't ever throw it away, reuse it kind of a mentality. Yeah, recycle things, but that wasn't the primary purpose because they grew up in a time and they grew up in a changing world where they knew what it was like to go without. They knew what it was like to suffer a little bit. Their world had changed and so they had to adopt and to adapt their lives to a whole new reality. In this verse where it says that they came into the land of Canaan, And the day after Passover, when they ate of the new produce of the land, that the manna ceased. This happened in just one day. Just one day. A total seismic change, a shift in their life in just one day. You see, this was the end of an era. That which was familiar was now gone. It was never going to return. They were never again going to eat of manna from heaven. It says it stopped and it didn't happen again. The word manna defined as what is it? it? They didn't even really know what it was. It just for 40 years came out of the heavens and every morning they would come out and they would gather what they needed for that day and they would eat it. They called it manna. It was kind of like a, a white little uh, coliander seed is what the scripture uh, declares it to be. It had all the nourishment in it that they needed, and they would eat it every single day. You know, I got to thinking about what that manna really represented, and and it represented so much blessing and good. There were so many uh, virtues to this manna that God provided for them every single day, manna from heaven. But in another aspect, in another relation, it was almost like living on welfare, 
It was almost like living uh, upon the sustenance and supply that someone else would provide, not that you had to go out and to do and to, to work for yourself. And I remember as a child uh, growing up, we, we had our, our days on some government type of assistance. We had the time where we had to be uh, eating the, the government cheese and some of those things that, that uh, were provided for us. And I thank God for that. And it's wonderful to have those social safety nets in our day. But can I tell you that you can get so used to eating off of welfare, you can get so used to eating on what someone else provides that before long you start eating things that you don't even know what it is. You don't even get curious anymore about what it is that you're putting in your life. And if we're not careful, we can get so reliant upon what the government does for us or what society can, can give to us or what someone else is going to take up the slack and do for us that we forget to rely on the God who has given all of it. He is the one that is our sustainer. He is the one that is our provider. And their world changed overnight. You see, I believe that COVID-19 was a once-in-a-generation turning point. It was a once-in-a-generation change for our entire society, and this was a pandemic worldwide. This wasn't just an isolated little case. This was worldwide. I look at my life, and I think of some, some times uh, in my 41 years where there have been some, some major turning points in our country or in our world. The first one that I remember, I was just seven years old in 1986 when the Challenger exploded over air. I was sitting in a classroom in my school and we were watching as that great shuttle went up into the air and we were cheering and all of a sudden it burst into flames. I remember in 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down and I was watching that on television. I was actually a little bit upset because I think that the newscast broke through my cartoon program to show me what was happening worldwide. And I didn't really understand, but I knew that something monumental had happened for the president to have to take over the airways to tell us what was happening a world away when communism met its demise in the modern world. I remember where I was, and no doubt you do too, on September 11th when those planes went into those buildings like great missiles. And all of a sudden, our nation realized we are not as safe as we thought we were. And our world changed overnight. Air travel has never been the same since 2011 of September. We have modified our lives because our world had changed. And in 2020, we are in and still walking through a seismic change in our world. As COVID-19 seems to be less and less in the press, but now just on the heels of that, we find race wars and riots and fighting and division that is sweeping our nation and even the world. We don't even know the effects that are going to take place after this, of this virus that has impacted world economies, has taken the lives of tens of thousands of people, and what kind of fallout it's going to be long term. Now, there are just two responses in the wilderness that they could have had when this manna ceased. They could have looked up to heaven and said, oh no, there's no more manna. Nothing else is going to fall from heaven. We are doomed. 
For 40 years, we've been walking around this same mountain. Why don't you just let us go back into the wilderness? At least there's provision enough. It sounds like the generation before them that got, came out of Egypt and then wished that they were back there eating onion soup. Can you imagine that you'd want to go back to eating onion soup? But that's what they had in their mind when Moses first led them out. Now Joshua led them out, and they could have lifted up their hands and said, let us go back to the place of provision, back to the place of manna. You see, these people were content in the wilderness. They had just enough for today, and then tomorrow there would be a fresh batch of manna that would fall from the sky. And though they were content, I would tell you that they were actually malcontent because they were grumblers and they were complainers. And not one person from the original generation that entered into that that, uh, wilderness was able to go in except for two people. Joshua and Caleb were the only two of faith that were in that original group. All the rest of them died in the wilderness. This was a brand new generation. So instead of lifting up their hands and saying, oh, no, we're doomed, they said, you know what? This is a great opportunity. This is a time for a fresh start. This is a time for a second chance. We get a do-over. We can try this brand new world for ourselves. And I believe that there are some people of God this morning that are looking out at the horizon of all the problems of this world. They're looking out of all the unrest and the civil uh, disobedience and unrest that's happening in our nation. And they're saying there is a great opportunity. There is a silver lining to do something for God. We have the choice. We can either give up and die or we can get up and cross over. As for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. Can I get an amen this morning? And this was not bad news for everyone. Some had this hope that arose in their heart and they fixed their gaze on the promised land. They started looking around and realizing this is a plentiful land. This is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And I want to tell you that in every downturn economically, in every revolution, in every upheaval, there presents an opportunity for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear what God wants to do in a brand new land. You see, these people, they needed to have a memory for the past, but a vision for the future. And you and I, up under the banner of New Freedom Church, need to have a memory for the past, but a vision for the future. You see, a memory for the past is very important because it gives you faith that builds upon God's faithfulness in your life before and yesteryear and how he's, he's come through for you. And so a memory of the past is very good to build your faith, to give you wisdom, to give you confidence that if God was for me then, then God's going to be with me now. And if he saw me through these hard times before, he'll see me through hard times in the future. And so, so a memory of the past is really good. It's good to, to look back and say, the Lord has, has done wonderful, marvelous things in my life. But if we get stuck in the memory of the past and we don't have a vision for the future, then what happens is we just, we romanticize things of yesteryear. We get nostalgic about how things used to be. If we're not careful, we can be paralyzed with a memory of the past, and some people don't just have a memory of the past, they actually have a vision of the past. It's not good enough just to let the past lie in memory. They actually reimagine it and revisualize what it should be. And and they're the same people that, and and, and don't be under condemnation if you do this, they're the same people that's never thrown out their bell bottoms because they're wondering when they're going to come back in style. 
They're the same people that never look to the new day for something to change and for something to lighten up because they're always talking about the good old days, wishing for and hoping for things to turn back around like they used to be. I just can't wait until we can live in the good old days again. You've heard people talk like this. They romanticize the past. Well, here's a tip about the good old days. You ready? Those good old days didn't always feel like good old days when you were going through them. Looking back on them now, oh, those seem like the good old days. But when, they, when you were walking through them, it was like toil and struggle and pain and, and just getting ahead. And now that you're on the other side, it's easy to look back with rose-colored glasses at the good old days. See, this is what they did. The manna stopped. What do you mean? We're not going to have food tomorrow? What about when we used to just enjoy the summer sun and the wilderness and the, 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 the desert would shield us with the mountain in the evening and the manna was so sweet to our taste and they would romanticize the past. And if you're not careful, you can get paralyzed in the past because of what the past meant for you. It's kind of like trying to drive your car through the rearview mirror. It's okay to glance at the rearview mirror, but you can't stare there. Can you? You've got to look ahead. And that's exactly what God wants us to do in this day and in this time. You see, a vision for the future is not a movie reel that's played to show the exact future and what it exactly looks like. That's not what a vision for the future is. Rather, a vision for the future is kind of like a compilation of some core values or guiding principles that will keep you going when the calling gets tough. A vision is a a preferred look at the future. And I want to tell you this, a vision for tomorrow is as much important for you today as it is for what happens after today. A vision for the future gives you that confidence that you can walk in the land of plenty today. That today is the day the Lord has made. We are going to rejoice and we're going to be glad in it. So a vision gets you through today and it helps you to walk into tomorrow. Also, here's what I want to say about a God-sized vision. If the vision for the future is a God-sized vision, it will never be fulfilled in one lifetime. There may be parts of it that get fulfilled, but if the vision is a God-sized vision, it actually has a legacy that's attached to it. That you walk out and you fulfill God's purpose for your generation and then you take the baton and you pass it to the next generation that's what I was referring to just a little bit ago about some technical changes and some some differences in our room and in our environment here as we worship is that there is a a legacy to our vision it's not just for what happens inside the four walls of a church house but we realize now after being gone for 10 weeks and not being in here that there's a whole entire audience out there that they may be watching us for two months or five months or six months before they ever don the doorways of this building if ever they do and yet we want to reach them with the gospel as well and so a vision for the future goes on far past what we can affect personally in our own lives a vision for the future allows you to look around and walk in the land of promise today while preparing the next generation to walk in the land of promise for them There are four core values that I want to share with you of our new freedom vision. These four core values of the NFC vision just make the acronym free. They are fidelity, relationships, 
evangelism, and equipping. Let me just briefly give you a, kind of a synopsis of each of them. We are going to be true and faithful to the gospel of Jesus and to the word of God. That is sure. We are going to be true. We are going to have fidelity or honor, faithfulness to those things. We're going to be faithful to Jesus, and we're going to honor one another. That is the fidelity part of the new freedom vision. Our relationships, we are going to be in relationship with God through worship, which we've already done here this morning, with other believers through fellowship, through connecting and and small groups and, and, and relating to one another. And we are going to be in relationship with the not yet believers through our witness. What is your life speaking? These people in the book of Joshua were coming into a brand new land and God said, I'll not let one of them stand against you as long as you never bow down and worship their gods. In other words, here's what God is saying. He's saying, I'm going to drive out the evil and the wicked from your land, but you need to be a witness of them, of what I have done as they have a great fear and awe and reverence of the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And your witness is going to speak something to them. We know that many, many of them did finally come to the faith of this one great God, Jehovah. But that is how you and I are to witness, is that we are to be the people of God. We are to walk about and be the kind of people he has called us to be. Evangelism. You know, evangelism has to be at the core of everything we do because we want to always offer a pathway for those who are far from God, a way that they can get near, a way that they can grow near. And we don't want to put up high burdens for them to have to jump uh, hurdles and hoops in order to get into the presence of God. Someone said, what's the dress code at your church? Clothes. It doesn't matter how it is that you dress as long as you dress. (laughs) But here's what I found about about church is that some people, they they say, well, I'm going to come to church just as soon as I get the the nice clothes. I'm going to go to church just as soon as I get my life in order. I'm going to start coming to church just as soon as I get a few of these things figured out. You know what that would be like? A person who is sick and in need of a doctor saying, I'm going to go to the emergency room just as soon as I get healed. No, the church is the hospital for the hurt. And people should be able to come in just as they are and let the Spirit of God change them from the inside out, and he'll do the work. See, we are fishers of men. We're not cleaners of fish. Can I get an amen? We just cast the net, and then we pull in that net, and we let Jesus clean them up. And so this is our evangelistic uh, emphasis on our vision. And then the last one is equipping, which is making disciples. You don't make a disciple overnight. Jesus called the 12 to come and follow him. And through a three and a half year process, they became the disciples of Jesus. And even at the end of that three and a half years, not all of them got it exactly. It was tough. I mean, there, there were some things they were still missing, right? Every single one of them abandoned him on his, the night of his crucifixion, the night of his betrayal. Every single one of them abandoned him. So they all had something that they still needed because discipleship is a lifelong process. And then we're going to multiply ourselves through church planning and through resourcing of other faith leaders. We've already been able to do that even this year in a time of a downturn, an economic downturn. We've been able to to resource other churches. Early in the year, we we sowed into the ministry of another church that's, that's planting in Monroe. And we want to continue that as a core value, as a guiding principle of our vision. And we want to be real people. 
with real freedom. And the only way we're going to do that is as we walk out our vision. Having a memory of the past, but a vision for the future. John 4 and 35, Jesus said this, Do not say there are still four months, then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white unto harvest. What's Jesus saying? The blessing's in the field. We need to stop praying that God would send us blessings. He has already blessed us. There are blessings in the field. Jesus said, just get a new perspective. Lift up your eyes. Look out there. Can you see all the opportunities? And this is where you and I have to be uh, Christ-minded. We have to get our eyes up and say, yes, there are hard times right now. Yes, we are facing difficulties in our nation. Yes, there are, are turmoils and there are fights and there are rioting in the streets. Yes, but God has given us, this generation, this opportunity to do something about it, to be representatives of his kingdom. We weren't born in another era, in another time, in another generation. We were born for today, and we have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. These are exciting times, church. These are exciting times to be alive because of what God is doing in the land. Exodus 23 and 20 goes back to the promise, and I want you to see this. I'm going to close. It says, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place that I have prepared for you. This was the promise given to Moses. Notice the two characters we're talking about. The first promise of Exodus was given to Moses. God fully intended that Moses would take this journey and within a week or so be in the promised land. Now, he had a stopping off point around Sinai, and he wandered in the wilderness with these rebels for 40 long years. But look at Joshua 5. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, Jericho was the first big city that they were going to go and to confront, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us? or for our adversaries. You notice how that we always wanna pick sides and choose winners and losers? Well, Joshua was no different. He wanted to know, hey, are, are you gonna help me with this fight or do I need to fight against you? And here's the answer, verse 14. So the angel said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and he said, what does the Lord say to his servant? Here's what the angel said. I'm not for you, I'm not against them, I'm for the Lord. How many today wanna be on the Lord's side? I don't care if some say I'm right and others say I'm wrong, I just wanna be pleasing to an audience of one. I just wanna be on the Lord's side. In Exodus, we see that God told Moses, I will send my angel before you. You're going to have this strong hand of the Lord that is going to go before you. And then finally, when Joshua comes into the land, he looks and he sees that there is an angel of the Lord standing there. And he says, I'm going to go up and talk to this person. I'm going to go. He first thought he was a man. Then he realized he's the angel of the Lord. And he says, are you for us or against us? And he said, I'm just on the Lord's side. Now I just have faith to believe that what God says he'll do, he'll do. And therefore, it took them 40 years to enter into their land of promise. And that angel was waiting for them. They're not here yet. 
for 40 long years. And they're praying for blessing for 40 years. And God's saying, if you just get up and go on to that new land, if you just get up three-day journey, I've already got the provision for you. If you just get up and start going, it took 40 long years for them finally to go and meet their destiny. I would to God that it doesn't take us 40 years walking around the same mountain to finally fulfill what God has told us to do in our day and in our generation. You see, there's an angel waiting on the other side. There's an angel of blessing that's waiting for you. All you have to do is get up and go boldly into this new land. You go boldly into your new world because the old world, it's not coming back. So many things about the old world are never going to return, but that doesn't mean we have to have a vision of the past. We can have a memory there. Let's have a vision for the future, amen? Amen, amen, thank God. Father, today I thank you for your word. You have given us life and breath. You have given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. God, give us faith to walk boldly into this new world and to know that you are already there. As they get ready to sing, I just thank you, God, that you have given to us your word and your spirit to walk out that word, that we might be sons and daughters of God. And if there's any person today who does not know the freedom that is found only in Jesus. My prayer is that today would be their day of decision, that they would walk into this new world with a faith in Christ by saying, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, take me a sinner. I repent, I receive you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.